0: Hey, welcome to the Rhona Morrell podcast. So do you ever feel like screaming out in the office, on Zoom or outside the school gates, for the love of God, come on, really? But if this is you and you're looking for an honest, fun and frank podcast on life and business, then sit back and listen to me, Raina Morrell. I'll be bringing great people on the show to talk, share and debate their life experiences and business challenges. Keeping the show unpolished, but with a fun and unique British style with sarcasm, tenacity, or maybe a few swear words or tears. This podcast keeps it real, honest, raw, and removes the bullshit in the only way I know how, through authenticity and getting shit done. Think of it less like The Housewives of New York or Towie, with the lipo and drama, and more like The house Housewives of the real world. I hope you'll take something away to be better informed, laugh, smile, or maybe even finally get in the confidence to shout, come on, really. So enjoy. Hi, Charlie, welcome to the Road and Morale podcast. How are you?
1: Very well, indeed. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, thank you. I'm very honoured to be uh, included in this podcast.
0: Oh no! I think the the honour is absolutely all mine. Um, stunning photography you've got behind you there, and I wanted to introduce you to um, the listeners. This is Charlie Mayhew, um, who is the co-founder and um, CEO of Tusk, which I am pretty confident most of you will will know about um, due to due to Charlie's success. But I wanted to tell you a little bit about Charlie's journey as well. So. So um, take you back just a couple of years. Um, But Charlie um, did his education at Wellington College, and then you then spent a couple of years traveling around uh, Switzerland, South Africa, Australia. And after returning home, you went into finance, which is a which is an interesting area. And I also believe you did a bit of moonlighting as a DJ. Yeah, that's OK, I might, right. I, might touch on, I might touch on that again a bit later. <laughs> see if you're still doing that.
1: Many um, moons ago.
0: <laughs> um, but in 1985, actually, you set up the really successful Young Europe Africa expedition, and that saw 33 people start off and travel across the Sahara through the Congo and kind of finishing up um, in, in Cape Town that was filmed by Channel 4, that's right, isn't it, as a documentary on conservation and uh, community projects. Um, And on your return after that seven month um, journey, you were elected as fellow of the Royal Geographical Society. You then went back into finance again for a little bit. Um, But this is where you really are today. And in 1990 is when you co-founded the charity, which I didn't I didn't realize it was that that long. Um, And as part of this, you co-produced the film lost in Africa to really drive that awareness around the ivory trade um, and clearly under your stewardship and your leadership the business is what it is now is an exceptionally well-known successful UK NGO uh, and we know we have the, the, the Duke of Cambridge as one of your patrons um, and in 2005 you were awarded a well-deserved MBE so the honour is all mine thank you for joining us and um, Firstly, I'd love you to talk about um, what the main issues are really now for Tusk, um, be that climate, be that people pressure, ivory trade, where are you as an organisation?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, Rona. So, So I think it's interesting, if one turns the clock back to when I founded the charity in 1990, in those days... Uh, th- there was probably more of a sort of fortress mentality uh, to conservation, um, and it was it was really about putting up fences and and um, uh, trying to protect you know species such as rhino and, and elephant that were that were under significant threat uh, and continue to be so today. But I, there's been a very significant shift over the last thirty years um, that. Um, has really seen a movement to engage local communities uh, into conservation, because so much of uh, the African landscape uh, where wildlife exists is outside national parks. Ooh. And so the future of that wildlife and that biodiversity really depends on the relationship, a successful relationship and coexistence of communities uh, with um, with that wildlife and and uh, allowing them to derive uh, a benefit and to see the value of that natural heritage that they've got, so so uh, we've we've been working a lot in uh, many most of our projects have a very strong human dimension to them and also right. community element. But what we've seen that with the growing uh, human population uh, across the continent, which is Set to double, um, you know, over over the next couple of decades, mm. um, ter- terrifyingly from 1.2 billion to 2.4 billion across Africa. That is inevitably going to lead to increased human wildlife conflict and loss of habitat. Yeah. And so, whilst the conservation world has probably been uh, preoccupied in in the last five to ten years with the poaching crisis and the illegal wildlife trade, which I'm sure we can talk about as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, the Probably the biggest train coming down the track is this loss of habitat because of the human footprint and the conflict that that is going to bring wildlife and humans uh, into uh, you know mm. as, as that rolls out, so so those are the really the, the you know the big challenges that we see, and I think the uh, an overarching challenge, of course, is climate change. Um, and the uh, increasing urbanisation of the human population, and I see that across the the globe, not just in Africa. Mm. I think yeah, that, that you know very sadly. The human species is becoming more and more disconnected from the natural world, and 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 less and less appreciating the huge value it has to our health and well-being. Uh, you know, and actually, the pandemic perhaps has has highlighted that. But yeah. yeah,
0: I ge- I guess when I when I hear you talk, I think you know, oh, I'm trying to do couch to five k, and just this morning hearing the birds doing that run really early, just, I, you know, I came home and said to Nick, it's, it's, it's so nice just to get out there. And I, and I do have hope that COVID has reconnected people with priorities. Um, because everyone you speak to who spends time in nature and I, I have traveled Africa. I have been to the Mara, I've South Africa and Uganda, et cetera. Um, is just sheer happiness and contentment and peaceful and i don't think anyone i don't see many people who disagree with that but it's like how do you get from 1.2 billion to 2.5 and and find a solution to that how are you how are you driving the hope in that angle
1: it's 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 very it is a big challenge uh, and i've always had said i mean a number of people over the years have said to me you know um, you know, how do you, how do you remain so positive uh, when, you know, the stats are just so <laughs> negative? And, um, and, and I've always said you've actually got to be, I, I, I believe you've got to be an eternal optimist, you know, to, uh, to sort of keep driving through. And I do see a number, of, I mean, you know, through Tusk, we have some amazing project partners doing incredible work and having a real impact. And so that gives you uh, the energy and the the, the hope that, uh, you know, we can make things better. Um, I think that, you know, it is increasingly difficult and and that we as a species, a human species, take nature for granted. And, um, And, you know, the pandemic has really highlighted that through man's uh, interference in nature, we've encouraged these zoonotic diseases to to, to leap and transfer from mm. wildlife uh, world into into the human world and and we've got to wake up to this and uh, I think that um, you know our, my hope is that this last year of the pandemic has, <clears throat> made many more people wake up to the to the reality that that we've really got to start looking after the the natural world it's not just a nice to have it's not just a luxury it's essential a lifeline it's a lifeline you know every uh david attenborough had a wonderful sort of saying that you know every breath of air we breathe and every mouthful of food we take is dependent on the natural world you know and you know he's right it's it's you know we we're such an arrogant species um and you know we're so all dominant and all powerful that that um we just forget that fundamental issue that we are ultimately our own life and well-being is dependent mm. on the natural world um of course this year we've got the you know the 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 uh uh, global COP on biodiversity. in yep. Korea, And we've got, of course, uh, the big one, which is the COP26 uh, in Glasgow in November. Um, and so, again, it's it's sort of been dubbed the sort of super year for conservation. It was meant to be in last year, of course. <laughs> of course.
0: Um,
1: I'm actually quite pleased it's this year.
0: Yes, um, you've had think- more time for it to brew and generate
1: Correct and yeah. uh, dare I say, you know, one of the world leaders on the stage has has removed has come off the stage and of course was a you know highly sceptic on, on climate change. So we've had a significant shift in the White House, mm. uh, which is I hope is going to be really helpful uh, in terms of the COP26.
0: And actually, it's an interesting point. You you know, sometimes I'm I'm doing quite a bit in in kind of the climate change environment. And it it is easy to feel very overwhelmed um, and get bogged down in that. And and like you say, sometimes you've just got to have that absolute crazy optimism and keep going with that passion. And if you can leave a legacy of the next generation and, and as you talk about the communities, they will take on that journey and it will build and build. I was reading this morning that, you know Tusker working on you know vaccinating the dogs and because people are so close to the wildlife the need to keep the dogs vaccinated so that they're not passing you know you talk about cross cross um, contamination between people and diseases likewise you're doing that work in the community with the dogs and the animals
1: yes absolutely and that's specifically really to try and contain rabies mm-hmm. um um, and it's uh, and I've been on one of those sort of vaccination missions in in the Serengeti, and and uh, it's <clears throat> you know it's amazing how many domestic dogs are the, they're sort of pretty feral as you feral. Would imagine. <laughs> Um and so it's so easy for them to you know uh, connect with with wildlife and particularly. With the wild dog population and other predators and uh, you know it's exactly how these sort of diseases can can transmit mm. and, and cross over so but that's an important way and that that particular project has been hugely effective and successful in containing rabies uh there
0: and i think it's 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 kind of a, a, ironic i know last night i was watching the news about and, and again this morning that india is declaring we have no oxygen we literally in a few hours, we have no oxygen to treat people. And I, and I turned and looked at my husband and went, oh, how, how, how ironic that is that we are, we are in this disaster and the one thing we need is oxygen. And so I wonder if, you know, that arrogance of the human will be re-reminded of the importance of how, you know, the earth, the animals, the trees, everything has such an important role to a basic fundamental that we take for granted
1: yeah, yeah. I, I mean at the end of the day everything's interconnected and uh you know we forget that at our peril and uh um i think it's you know it the trouble is that uh when you're looking at uh, the develop developing world and africa in particular in our case is that you have to remember that for so many people across africa you know uh, life is about surviving from one day to the next and putting food on the on the table. One of the things we've seen from the pandemic across Africa has been because the their economies have been so hard hit by the pandemic, the fact that tourism fell yeah. off a cliff, uh, it's probably going to take a while to come back. Um, you know, so many people lost their jobs and their livelihoods um, that... You know, African countries by and large do not have a social security system, a safety net that is just going to come in and provide a, uh, you know, wonderful furlough system and, and uh, um, you know, unemployment benefits or anything. There isn't that. They just don't have those resources. And and I think, again, easy for us in the West to, to forget that. Um, so what that has meant and what we've seen is that there's been a spike in bushmeat poaching yes this is not for trade per se this is to live this is to live and 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 a cutting down of trees for charcoal because you know uh, they just don't have the, the the wherewithal to to go and and support their their families so mm. so we've seen a significant pressure building from from that
0: and, and have you found that um, you know it you, you're right I think you know as a westerner you can often look at the the beautiful pictures of the of the Mara in Cape Town and just think oh these people you know they're so lucky they've got all this wildlife but like I don't um I don't often it just feels so unfair that whenever there's something to do with climate change or uh you know something like COVID, it hits the the people who have nothing the hardest every single time and it's how do we wake up as the kind of western world um and kind of go do you know what this just can't continue this is this is on every moral level of of being a a a decent human being you know, these people are literally starving and dying to death. And of course, they're going to turn to wildlife and trees. So if somebody offers, uh, you know, a poacher or somebody thousands, hundreds of pounds for that tiny bit of tusk, you're going to take it, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I, I, and that's, you know, that's the problem. I mean, the the illegal wildlife trade... Um, which is something which we've worked on for you know for many years um, through our partnership, and 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 also because uh, our patron Prince William has has been very vocal on this, uh, really leading the charge uh, on on trying to tackle the illegal wildlife trade on various different levels, and and uh, you know I was lucky enough to to be invited to join him on a on a uh, trip to China. Um, where you know he he was able to engage with President Xi directly, face to face on this, and uh, um, and it was you know I think it was one of those sort of moments where you know the people were sort of slightly holding their breath, you know, as to how that <laughs> would go down. Um, yeah. And but it actually they you know it went really well, and and um, and subsequently you know I, I know that he wouldn't claim. To have uh, persuaded President Xi alone, because there were there were lots of pre- there was a lot of pressure on China, but mm. there's no doubt in my mind that and and indeed other people in the conservation world that Prince William's efforts in this space has really had a huge uh, impact and 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 ultimately led to China, you know, introducing a, a domestic ban on the trade in ivory. Yeah. That was something that five years ago, six years ago. None of us would have believed it was really possible. No, and so, so- things are possible to, to, to change mindsets and to to move the dial, and and so that's another reason why we must never give up.
0: No, absolutely. I, I, I'd like to touch back on that, but for, for people who, you know, the kind of the myths, and you know, we hear that, you know, effectively tusks, horns are the same as your fingernails. I've always been a believer of keeping traditions and cultures, but why is it that, you know, I know that this is so deep in the the history and um, of Asia, but it's a very rich nation with lots of extremely intelligent and well-off people. What's keeping driving this desire and demand for something that ultimately is hair and nails,
1: yeah, so so an important thing is to separate uh, ivory from rhino horn. Right. So you're absolutely right. Rhino horn is is made of keratin. It's it's basically matted hair and is like your fingernail. Um, so um, and that product um, tr- is is traditionally used in Chinese medicine uh, in in various forms. Um, and um, but what's happened with rhino horn is that the uh, the price of rhino horn has escalated to such ridiculous levels of up to $50,000, sixty thousand dollars a kilo making it more valuable than gold mm. is that it's become it's moved from being just uh something from a traditional Chinese medicine uh property to to something which is a status symbol oh, and so God. so what happens is that you know uh, people, you know might i don't know they might celebrate a a major occasion or a big business deal by presenting a rhino horn you know uh because it's it's all about status um so that that's the and the, wow. the problem with rhino horn is because it's actually consumed um as opposed to ivory which is purely an artifact yeah elephant ivory is purely an artifact uh, basically, um, so the and 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 a few years ago, what was really upsetting was that some reported official in the Far East claimed that he'd been cured of cancer by taking Rhinohorn. Now, <sighs> it has been proved over and over again there is no medicinal property yeah. in Rhinohorn. As I say, it's like biting your fingernail. Um, so, but it's, you know, once that sort of message goes out there, if you are someone who's got a, a relative who's, who's, you know, got cancer and everything has failed and someone said, well, why don't you, I heard that rhino might work, you know, you're you going to do anything
0: it. you could to get your hands on it. Yeah. So,
1: so that's a, that's a huge, huge concern. Uh, the ivory trade, as I say, is very different. It is status a symbol again. Yeah. Um, but uh, fortunately, since China introduced its ivory ban, uh, the price of ivory has dropped dramatically. China Fantastic. will probably report for 80% of ivory. We still have a problem with uh, countries like Japan uh, and um, you know, uh, other far-eastern nations, Indonesia and whatever, where ivory is still being traded. Right. But taking China out of the picture, not wholly, because inevitably, you know, China's borders are porous and and uh, and there's corruption there and it's still leaking in. But the great thing about China is that is that this has come from right on high, from from Xi himself, and yeah. so uh, and the penalties can be quite severe. Um, so you know, I think people know that you 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 are taking quite a big risk actually if you start if you trade in ivory there.
0: Um, yeah, and so I was going to say, kind of, we often, you know, having someone like you and 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 Prince William is is incredible, but it feels like we need the equivalent of someone in, like you say, in China, who who is the patron, and in Africa, who is the patron? Do you have people like that?
1: Yeah, so in in, in China, uh, this is not uh, they're not ambassadors for TOS, but because actually there are a number of organisations. Who are really proactive in this space? Um, Wild Aid, in particular, uh, is one. Um, but um, and they've got they've managed to uh, bring together a number of sort of very well known Chinese figures, including Yao Ming, who's that sort of seven foot tall basketball player. Yeah. Uh, who I've met actually, and he's is, is passionate about this. And uh, I, and then Jackie Chan, the. Uh, Amazing. Uh, who I also uh, met in London uh, once. And and uh, um, in fact, we, it was very funny that all of the waiters and waitresses were coming up throughout dinner to get his signature, you know, his autograph. Um, Amazing. So they have, they've, and they've got, so they've, they've managed to get together quite a few high profile people. And there's been quite a big public campaign, poster campaign around the airports and things like that. So, so uh, we, we've definitely seen that movement.
0: Yeah. And so when you when you touched on earlier about ivory saying, obviously, we, we now have this kind of import ban. You said the price had dropped drastically, but has it had an impact on in in the field and elephants being killed? Yeah.
1: So so uh, the the signs, the early signs of the introduction of the ivory ban uh, of China are, are pretty positive. And, and in some countries, the elephant populations are already beginning to recover. And uh, for instance, Kenya had very very few uh, elephant losses due to poaching uh, in in the last couple of years. Um, there is still poaching in certain places, and you know we absolutely can't be complacent and take mm. a accelerator. Um, uh, particularly down in southern Africa, you know poaching is still is still bad there, and and in and in places like uh, Central Africa and the Congo and. Um, So, you know, ivory is still being found and confiscated from poachers, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but um, the interesting of the pandemic has probably also helped to uh, quash it because those, the illegal wildlife trade is run by international organised criminal syndicates. Yes. be under no doubt about that these are the same people who are trading arms drugs Dikes. human trafficking whatever you know for them it's just purely about profit um and so um you know but but because of the pandemic it's been so much uh, more difficult to move the contraband the product yeah a- around and to try and export it and and get it off you know to to the far east it's
0: it's it's bizarre in a way because you know for all for everything we want COVID to to obviously disappear um maybe someone in my mindset sees so many more positives that have come from this situation the realization the climate change the the fact that you know even even silly things like the number of people on the streets and crime every you know there's just this huge benefits um that Like I look at the I look at the story that you talk about with the with the the rhino horn, and it kind of makes me want to go a bit innovative and think, why don't we set up like some sort of fake rhino horn, you know, infiltrate and kind of sell this thing as if it is, and you know, like.
1: I, I don't know. It's... So it's, it's interesting you say that because, um, you know, there are two, two schools of thought. And in certain parts of southern Africa, they have been pressing uh, the idea of, or wanting to promote the idea of, of opening up the trade in rhino horn and uh, basically farming it. Because right. a rhino horn grows continuously through, through the, the animal's life. Um, So you can cut the horn off and it will grow back slowly, um, but it will grow back. So there are people uh, in, particularly in South Africa, there's, uh, there's a particular guy called John Hume, who basically sort of, you know, has placed a bet by accumulating rhinos and harvesting the horn in the hope that one day the the market would open up the trouble is that the population of rhino is still very very low so mm. you've got uh you know there are about 5 to 6000 black rhino left in the wild today uh, and perhaps about 20 to 22000 white rhino left right. um if you were to take the horns off all of those animals yeah Uh, and and sort of flood the market okay the price of rhino horn would certainly fall but what you're also doing is you're then stimulating a market and saying this is this is fine to consume and and you know it's actually a it's a con because it has no property it has no medicinal property so why fuel that? flame yeah. in my mind but more importantly what you'll do is that you stimulate the demand to the point that you then can't meet that demand. Yeah because I guess well, once,
0: you, once you cut off a rhino hole albeit like your nails grow it's going to take some time to get it to a point.
1: Yeah exactly and so so uh, you then get to a situation where you've stimulated the demand and therefore you actually, again, stimulate a black market and an illegal trade in it because people will be so desperate to get hold of it. But what one's also forgetting is that the rhino has a horn for a reason, you know? And and so, you know, because if, they, if you're... Uh, you know, rhinos fight and they use their horn to defend themselves. They use their horn to defend their young from an attack by lions or whatever. So, you know again it's just it it's just an an extraordinary arrogance of man to think we can harvest a rhino horn and use it without having any impact on that species
0: Mm. and it and it's it's a really cruel thing to do isn't it to take away an animal's defense effectively and confidence and strength to like you say fight mate protect Mm. um and yeah i i just i mean obviously i would i i wouldn't want to see it in version one or version two but I guess there's got to be something that looks a bit like with climate change like how do we get I see where that guy's going it's like how could we make it sustainable but ultimately there's not enough of them they don't grow that quickly and like you say you're just stimulating the market and saying it's okay to do it and it's not
1: yeah, no, exactly. And what he's done, uh, I mean, he's he's now sort of running out of money actually because the bet's gone against him. But um, it, it is that he's um, he's effectively farming them like cows? So you go to his property and he's got them, you know, in these large paddocks, uh, if you like, with water troughs. They're not natural. They're not.
0: Oh these God.
1: Are, these are not. You know, this is not livestock, and and actually, what interestingly, one of the problems that he's had is that uh, he's, uh, you know, it's 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 encouraged uh, uh, the, the, his population of rhino to suffer from various diseases because they're they're being unnaturally close and close. Yeah.
0: So when he runs out of money, and let's hope he does is somebody like tusk ready to pounce and 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 are we able to i say we like i work there And um, are you able to take those animals then and 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 help them like what would if he went bust what would happen to all those animals
1: well i think that he's already that i haven't had the. i haven't had a recent report on it but i i i did hear that he was trying to sell or trying to find another investor to come in behind him and and uh uh, you know so uh, we shall see but it, you know his situation is totally unnatural those rhinos really ought to be you know redispersed uh, into into the wild areas
0: yeah i mean look i've i've, I've been on the end of a um, charging female rhino protecting her young and it is <laughs> it's pretty scary <laughs> um, but actually you know what i think there's no it, it's like you want to transport every westerner into africa to excel experience the joys of what that is and there's nothing like being charged up by a rhino to make you feel so completely insignificantly small and powerless and I think that's the biggest fear of the human race the over arrogance of the human race that we know we can shoot it we can you know we spread diseases we have control but when you and I often think about that with my children it's like it's not about traveling to go on holiday I want them to sit in a vehicle surrounded by lions or animals and feel scared but feel you know overwhelmed by you know the natural world I mean you've got some stunning pictures behind you there um how you know have you got any kind of what's been your closest call yourself in in the kind of wild world you must Uh, have had a few
1: well, actually, uh, yeah, a rhino, actually. Um, probably, I've had a couple of, of rhino moments uh, being charged by rhino. Um, and both times on foot. Uh, right. Those um, And it, it gets the heart racing. Um, I, I always sort of, I, the one thing I love about Africa, apart from, you know, its people and cultures and landscape, is I I... I I never feel more alive than I do when I'm in Africa. You know, yeah. all your senses are just really—they have to be pretty attuned, particularly if you're, you know, if you're walking through the bush. You've got to be yeah. very aware. And and uh, so uh, yeah, no, I've had a, I've had a couple of moments where, um, you know, and and where we were with, on one occasion, was with uh, uh, a couple of rangers, and we were told what would, you know, what we should do if if the rhino charged, and and the rhino did charge. And none of us did what we were told. <laughs> we, we, we all literally just bombshelled. And, and um, you know it was every man for himself.
0: <laughs> well, thank and, God you made it out alive.
1: No, no, it was, it, it, it was cool. It was fine. But, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it's that fight or flight thing. Actually, it's funny because my, my husband and I did a walk in the in the Mara, and but we were on the kind of edge of the Mara, so they were like, "You're not really going to get lions and whatever." But we were with four rangers, Maasai gentlemen, and th- there was a vehicle kind of following in the background. So anyway, we're walking along, and I'm going, kind of, you know, looking at the footprints. Are you sure there's no, you know, lions and elephants? No, 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 no. no. Anyway, we we hear the most horrendous noise in the bush to the to the right hand side of us and the guy up ahead with my husband is fine I can see him tapping my husband on the shoulder and they just start to walk in the opposite direction I turn to look at the guy with me the 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 Maasai guy he's pegged it he has literally legged it off to the van and I'm going I'm not going to swear but I'm on my own in the bush. Anyway, you know, we got into the van. He was hugely apologetic, and you know, we—I renamed him Maasai Warrior. And he pulled up his um, dressage, and he got—he'd been attacked by a lion. Um, and I just went, you, "You might want to think about a career change. I'm not sure you should be doing these these bush walks. But again, what a way to feel alive!
1: Yes, absolutely. No, no, no. <laughs> very very special place and I feel very privileged that I you know I've had the chance to travel you know the length and breadth of of the continent and it's very and 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 such uh, incredible diversity and variety of landscapes and, and you know whether it be the the forests of the Congo to the you know the deserts of Namibia or Sahara or whatever it's 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 an amazing continent I I, I certainly urge people to to you know go and visit because uh, you know it's uh, you know and I'm very conscious that we you know we all need to be aware of our our own carbon footprint and travel Mm. but but you know africa's economies and its future is also so dependent on you know us visiting and and supporting you know their economies you know uh, country like kenya you know it's it's uh, you know tourism is responsible for employing I mean, hundreds of thousands of people, yeah. and and uh, it's it represents something like twelve to fifteen percent of 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 GDP. You know, it's very very significant. And, mm. and uh, you know, if we don't put a value on, uh, you know, tourism and 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 it's got to be responsible tourism, I hasten to add. But um, you know, then it's going to be so much more difficult to save and look after and preserve these these. Yeah. Incredible Places.
0: And it's like you said earlier, the, the need to to focus on the animal, be it the rhino, the lion, the elephant, actually, it does need to be holistic within, you know, the community. And I think encouraging people to get on planes and fly in in the bigger scheme, there are plenty of ways that you could offset that carbon. And I think if we could encourage more people to embrace the people of Africa, wherever I've been, have just left me you know, gobsmacked in their kindness, in their ability to do things and, and have very, you know, have very little. And I've been in townships in South Africa and, you know, been with the, the pygmies in, in Uganda. And, I, you know, like you, I, I would massively encourage people to, to when we can um, embrace the African culture. Um, but bringing it back to, to Tusk and obviously the challenges. So we know we've got this big roadblock kind of coming at us or the train as you describe it how have you seen an impact recently with covid on you know the kind of the hunting element not for exporting but the the sport as it's defined uh,
1: in terms of uh well interesting pre-covid even um there are there were already signs that the um trophy hunting was sort of beginning to decline in a number of places which was Mm -hmm. interesting um uh, certainly, through COVID, you know there has been virtually no trophy hunting uh, because, like tourism, it's it's just yeah. off the cliff. Um, trophy hunting is a is a is a very complex uh, debate and is often oversimplified. Um, now, I'm not going to sit here and defend trophy hunting per se um we don't support it as an organization Mm. however you know what is really important to understand is that if we did away with trophy hunting overnight yeah that would have a very significant impact on the uh protection of some very significant and very valuable wildlife landscape right And if I could explain that a little bit more is that where trophy hunting exists at the moment, those hunters pay a concession fee, they pay uh, either into the communities uh, or to government, and they uh, take over that piece of land. There is a quota system that supposedly works to control the number of species that they're allowed to offtake. That in itself is often leads to corruption and an abuse of the system it's not properly regulated there are all sorts of issues and problems right but the bottom line is that and and the thing that i'm most concerned about is the land itself the habitat right because if hunting was done away with without uh really thinking through the consequences and having an alternative put in place to to ensure that that piece of land is still going to be preserved for wildlife, Mm. then we are in danger of letting uh, very large tracts of land, very valuable wildlife habitat, often that sits around national parks and acts as a sort of a buffer zone and and in some cases the lungs of those national parks, to allow the animals to migrate in, in, in and out, that, that that land could be turned over to settlement, cultivation, agriculture. Yeah. And once it's lost, it's lost forever. So we have to find uh, alternatives to trophy hunting, which is going to make sure that that land is protected. And the problem is that there isn't the... Resources the finance available from either from the philanthropic world, the NGO yeah. world, um, or governments to say that's all right. We'll just put it into the national park or whatever. That's not going to happen. No, you know. So, so we have to find a way of generating alternative revenue that will replace trophy hunting and ensure that we can still hang on to these very valuable bits of wildlife habitat yeah uh, and interesting enough one area that has has really come to the fore through the pandemic has been uh, the uh, revenue that can, can come from carbon offsetting yes and and so that's quite exciting potentially um, the carbon offset market itself has got you know some reputational risks, involved. It's not straightforward, it's not, you know, it's not not the silver bullet that's going to solve everything. But but certainly we've seen in places like Zambia, a really exciting initiative which has now um, generated really substantial revenue from carbon offsetting for communities in areas which traditionally they've had trophy hunting. Yeah. And through the pandemic, they've seen this revenue sustained, whereas all their tourism and trophy hunting revenue has disappeared. Gone. So it's, you know, they're going to put
0: more effort and and realise. Yeah. And, 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 you know what, that's really interesting. I'll, 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 I'll certainly take that forward in the work that we're, that we're doing with Art 2030 because as part of that kind of climate change target for 2030 carbon credits is a, is a huge thing, you know, past credits, future credits. And so, yeah, that's a really interesting one to watch and I think the value of those carbon credits as it gets tighter more restricted certified and and governed will drive the value of those carbon credits going forward um okay. listen um I'd love to know what are the top one or two things that you'd love to let the listeners know for anyone who's out there listening going but what can I do you know it's it's very easy to drop a five quid a month or whatever but what can individuals do? And for any organisation, what's your biggest ask right now?
1: You know, you won't be surprised to, say that, to hear me say it, money is, is the biggest ask. Um, we, you know, last year, the pandemic, you know, we, we launched an initiative called the Wildlife Ranger Challenge and, and secured over $10 million, specifically as an emergency response to the fact that so many rangers were being put out of work or having their salaries uh, cut by up to 80 percent so through that initiative alone and it was the money that did it and we were we were very lucky to secure the support of uh, a philanthropist who put up a five million dollar match fund so we, yeah. we unlocked that dollar for dollar but what that did was that, that we've managed to support over ten thousand rangers, kept them on the front line of conservation throughout this pandemic.
0: Well, that's your charity so, furlough, then, I guess.
1: Yeah, in a way, <laughs> basically. Yes, exactly, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Um, but so, so unfortunately, money is the is the big the big ask. Having said that, you know, once we're allowed to travel again responsibly. Um, I would urge people to get back to Africa. They desperately need our income and, 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 and revenue uh, in order to support their livelihoods and to put this value back on their natural heritage. So that's important. And then on the illegal wildlife trade, when you travel to other parts of the world, yeah, just be really mindful that you are not inadvertently buying a piece of ivory or some product that, you know, is being fobbed off on you as being totally legal. And, and, uh, you know, so that's important as well. And then above all, I think, you know, let us all really understand the value of the natural world, even in our own homes and our own environments. And, and, uh, you know, we've got to put a value on natural capital. Yeah. Natural and social capital. We have to understand we take so much of this for granted and and we extract so much from the earth that we've just done for free. We haven't put a value on it. and, And that's got to change.
0: Yeah. I just wish there was a way that Mother Earth could act like, you know, the Silicon Valley or the bank and go you know, time's up, you owe me plus interest. (laughs) (laughs) So listen, Charlie, thank you so, so much for joining me today. You know, I've learned a ton of stuff and I I hope that um, everybody has. I think you've hit hit on some key subjects there around the conservation, illegal wildlife and and climate change. So thank you so much. I wish you well with all of the success with Tusk and I hope to obviously keep uh, in touch with you. So thank you, Charlie.
1: Thank you, Rona. It's been a pleasure. Thank you
0: so that's it you've made it the show's over thank you for being with us i hope you've been able to take something away maybe solve a problem or just know you're not alone here's hoping it made you smile with a few laughs along the way please feel free to find me on all social media channels and you can subscribe to my youtube channel just search the rona morale podcast have an awesome day and see you next time